0: until about the 1500s, and even then it took a while, when it came to hearing the word and we talk about read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. I mean, pastors do a lot of that, right? I've done it. Oh, if I haven't done it, read your Bible. (laughs) I think I have. You didn't tell people to read their Bible because they didn't have them hear the word of God you're not still true you can read and not hear so it isn't just reading your bible it's hearing in your heart the word of God and I could have spoke that and then prayed Lord let us hear but Lord let us hear so Bill beautifully finished chapter four. I won't go back at all. You, can, you should listen to it if you haven't. Follow along with the studies. But we're in chapter five and finishing the book of 1 Peter today. He says in verse one, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So the elders among you, elders were among us, beginning in Moses. I mean, there was always elders in towns from a very early time in human history, you know, the chief and the elders of any place, uh, the senior members of the community, the people in charge. In Exodus, we have the people of God being taken out into the wilderness, Moses being the man that God is using to oversee them and be an under-shepherd to him, to God, and, and God tells Moses, who's getting worn out, to appoint 70 other elders. And then this eldering thing begins where there's leaders over thousands and hundreds and 20s and tens and all. Are you following me? So that's where we get elders in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, Without I, I had a whole bunch of notes on this to go through this giant thing. And uh, somebody must have prayed for me. Oh God, help, Rick, just not do these things. And <laughs> I just erased them all because basically all I really need to say about it right now is, in the New Testament, it's more we see it more as a group of under shepherds. There's one chief shepherd. There was even when it was Moses. It wasn't Moses. It was God. And there's one chief shepherd today. And from the time of Peter, and Peter says it's not me. I like that, don't you? There, So on that whole thing I was gonna do, let me just say there's no perfect system clearly, perfectly outlined in the scriptures that you could say this is exactly how to do leadership. And this is the only way to do leadership. There's, We think we're close, or we wouldn't do elder leadership, group elders, perhaps one man at a stronger position, but not singularly the Moses model. Some in in the group that I'm with really believe strongly in the Moses model from the Old Testament, that it's to be the one man that's really it, and the other guys help him. I I don't see that. I see uh, more of a group together working, and uh, and we're all under shepherds, those who lead. There's no perfect system outlined, and there's certainly no perfect system that's ever been accomplished. Have you ever been to the perfect church? I'm glad you love the church, Dave but if you expect a church or a group to be perfect your presence there will ruin it <laughs> and here's how it will ruin it is something will go wrong that was going to go wrong and there'll be trouble and you'll be so amazed and discouraged by it that you'll feel like giving up because you thought it all was in that group or those leaders that doesn't give us an excuse to fail we want to do well And most church governments work when the leaders' hearts are before the Lord in humility. Most church governments will work when the leaders' and the people's hearts are before the Lord in humility. None of those systems will work. Are you with me? None of them work when the leaders' and people's hearts are not before the Lord in humility. I don't care what your system is. If your heart's not right, it doesn't work. And that's the call. And he says to my fellow elders, he calls elders, his authority did not need to be bolstered by some high title. His authority was the work of God through his life. I'm one of you. There's one chief shepherd You know, after all the arguing that Peter and the boys, the disciples, the apostles did over which of them was the greatest, you know about this quite well. After all the arguing they did, he finally got it. (laughs) At some point, he got it that there's, you know, I'm just a fellow elder. We don't need a pecking order here to prove our worth. Now, he said, I'm also a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter had firsthand knowledge of the suffering of Christ, even though he was at a distance during that extreme time. He was closer in some ways in the garden, even though he fell asleep. And he tasted Christ's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus glowing with Moses and Elijah, shining, light emanating from him. That's It wasn't like light shined on his clothes and they were reflective. Light emanated from him. He saw that. And he spent time with the resurrected Lord. Peter knows, doesn't know completely because as he's talking here, he's still a man in human flesh dealing with a human life. But he knows better than most what lies ahead eternally and it's glory. But... That was an acting thing I just did. I'm not really itching. The scratch of the head. Just you know, I like to let you in on these things. You know. But what is glory? What does that mean? What is glory? You know, there's you can define it the fullness of God's perfection, the brightest spot of light of who He is. You can describe it as His magnificence at its greatest, His excellence, and you just can't even say it right, because it's so dramatically the best of the best who God is, and there's nothing about God that isn't the best. And, and Jesus is called the brightness of his glory in Hebrews chapter 1, the expressed image of his person, the per- perfect representation of him, and the brightness of his glory. Yet in Isaiah 42:8. 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Well, if God doesn't, and this is just one place, I only picked one, of many places where God says, I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. Okay, now I'm really scratching. Well, how come we can partake of his glory if he doesn't share his glory with anyone? Because what he's saying there is many people have attempted to still steal or misuse and abuse God's glory for their own purpose. And God has the final word on that, and the word is no way, Jose. It won't happen. You'll see people try it. We've seen it through history. Ask Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. Look it up. So when you try to steal God's glory, it doesn't work. He has the final word. Yet he chooses to make us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Co-heir with Jesus. That means whatever Jesus gets in the kingdom of God as God's one and only begotten son, we're co-heirs with him. That's not Rick Cohen's words. That's Paul in Romans 8. That's a lot of what Jesus said. You inherit a kingdom to his disciples and those who would follow. Imagine it. Uh, you can't. You can't, and I can't fully imagine it. Your brain doesn't work. You would go into overload or think of something in the physical realm because you struggle and I struggle and we struggle to look beyond the physical realm into the realm of the spirit. So we would go, oh, all the car- if you like cars, you think all the cars I want. Or just fill in the blank, something... Uh, uh, tangible. Isn't that how your mind works mostly on the tangible? Your initials, you know, inheriting the glory of Christ, the glory of God. We struggle. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that there is a particular glory of all of creation. All the animals have different glory to them. There's birds that come up to our back window And they're glorious, except the blue jays. But she may get something to shoot the blue jays. She doesn't like them. And they really mess the thing up worse than the squirrels. Squirrels have a different glory. We've never seen it. And, uh, well, the mess on the ground that they make when they do the... Anyway, I digress. You know, there's different glory of the stars and the different planets, and the sun and the moon have different glory. Are you following? This is in Corinthians 15, if you're familiar. You know, but the glory of God in Christ through eternity. We are going to partake in body, soul, and spirit. It was his shining moment of glory when he won the mile race at the olympics what a glorious moment for him and oh what a glorious moment for her when she sang that song perfectly the national anthem at that major world event or a usa event and 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 then showed her great gift in music oh how glorious that was or you had a youtube channel and for once more than 13 people watched it And now you became a famous YouTuber, and it was your moment of glory, and it was hard to keep up with something exciting and cool, and so you pretty much faded out after that of glory. We're talking about living in the presence of glory and being a partaker of it, and I can't explain it. I just say it's worth waiting for. Serve as shepherds, the flock of God. How? How does a shepherd serve in the kingdom of God? The four G's in my mind, he grazes them. He takes me to green pastures. He grounds them in the word of God. He guides them and guards them. If you don't guard the sheep, you're just fattening them up for the, for the wolf. These things are done through the word of God. These things are done by grazing, grounding, guiding, and guarding. Personality and the way you care so much. Now you shouldn't pastor and shepherd and elder if you don't care about people. Then it would be good for you to work on some physical object and work on your people skills, which we we all still need. But here's what Timothy is told by Paul in Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, a very familiar verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, and that's anybody, man or woman is included, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good or training, even good education and good training. And there's a place for education and there is a place for training. Whatever... May be good, nothing replaces ever the word of God and the question that comes up both in Christendom among christians and the and it should come up and be answered and the question that comes up in the world situation among non-believers in culture is who is the authority I don't argue with people over issues without a basis over, is there an authority? And if there's no authority, but whoever you happen to agree with or feel comfortable about, or it makes you feel good inside, you get the warm gooeys and tickles in your heart. It touches you in the area of compassion. There's important, Jesus is the most compassionate person in the world he is also the ultimate authority so that he can be compassionate to us in a way that will actually help us. Who is the authority? And if it's a flip of a coin or whatever way the wind's blowing or people are leaning in up for grabs because if there's no absolute truth, there is no truth at all. So, a shepherd must submit himself, they must submit themselves to the Word of God in order to be effective. None of us is perfect. No system is perfect. But the Word of God is. Do we disagree about certain scriptures and others, all that? Sure, but... You're just going to have to find your way with your own, the way that you can have confidence in leadership in a church is the motive, the clarity that you can see, the essentials that you understand from Scripture, and are you seeking the Lord in your own heart to be submitted to his word? People who are not submitted personally to God's word have a real hard time to submitting to any leadership. So, and he shouldn't do it for, they shouldn't do it for money. So it doesn't mean getting paid is wrong, because in the New Testament, we're told that they, uh pastors and leaders can get paid, and I thank God, because I've been treated so well here, and, and, um, and we have. But some people will make merchandise of people, and they're after your money. I know you never knew this, but there's actually people out there that the reason they tell you, please give, is because... They want your money. They want your money. And there's people that will do that. And some, if, if they're doing it for money, and it's been through history, people have gotten into the ministry because it looked like a good gig. <laughs> they really are. But if, if, they're, if they'll quit when it gets hard, not all of them, because if they get their gig and get their money and can distance themselves from doing the real ministry, I guess, I guess that's happened plenty. But in the most cases, if somebody's in, if you decide to go into serving Jesus in the ministry and you get a, any kind of ministry and you get paid position, if, you're, if, you're, if your reason is money, you'll quit when it gets hard because it gets hard. And Peter says, but you're not to lord it over, have dominion, that's the word we get dominion. You're not to take dominion over people. Paul agreed with him in saying, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand, you know? There are certainly people in leadership in every walk of life who are on a power trip, aren't there? There's people who just want power, and they want to be able to tell people what to do, you know? you know my earlier journey was i almost didn't be a pastor because i did not want to tell people what to do it was uncomfortable to be in a be in a position of responsibility and authority in fact i met a guy that was moving towards the non-church church and no leadership he was a great guy and loved jesus but he was moving towards that movement of just we all just kind of work it out without anybody leading and i was Moving, we met like ships in the night, we got connected and we're like right here for a while together, really searching the Lord about these things. But he was on his way away from structure and I was on my way to going, you know, no matter what I do, I can't avoid it. There's leadership in the body of Christ. You're either gonna be a poor leader or a good leader, but you're gonna be a leader if you you're gonna have leaders. They're just going to rise up. So if you don't do something clear and you don't do what, what the scriptures teach clearly about leadership, you're just, you're just fooling yourself, you know. So, but you're not to have dominion over people. You're to be helpers of their joy. It's, that's our goal here. We don't want to control you. And uh, you're not here to build up the Rick Cohen or Bill Buffkin kingdom. I think you already know that, don't you? My goal And I know I speak for Bill. My goal is not for you to make me successful or famous. Pretty much, those days have flown. (laughs) If that was gonna happen, okay? It never was the purpose. It never should be the purpose. You're not here to help me build my kingdom. I'm here to help you Build, your, build yourself and others up in the kingdom of God. And I'm not alone. That's why you're here too. You should be here for the same reason I'm here for. The role that we three and a gifting, the role that we have is to build one another up in the love of God and in the purpose of God. So you're not here, you don't ever have to feel like you have to take care of the Rick Cohen kingdom or the Bill Buffkins kingdom. We don't have one. And if we do, Run. When it's our kingdom, run. So, verse five through seven. Likewise, you younger people, even if you're 17, <laughs> submit to yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but give grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. When we hit chapters two and three, I think it was more Bill than I covered really, really well the issue of mutual submission in the kingdom of God. And you should go back and read that if you and listen if you didn't weren't here for the end of chap, for chapter three, the early part and the end of chapter two, as we went through that. And here it comes up again. You know, the joy of submission. Everyone submitting to one another, younger to older. You know, uh, it is amazing. It's true. I understand, understand that. First of all, I was young, and I didn't want to listen to old people. And uh, it's going to be common. You know, first of all, they don't know what's going on. Like, they don't know the latest songs. They don't know the latest words to use. They don't know how to do technology, if it's today. There's a bunch of stuff people that are older don't know. But people who are older in Christ, more mature, and that can be in any age level where they're mature in Christ. It's talking about spiritual maturity here. They do know something you don't know if you're young in the Lord or you're just young. They actually do. And you can not like it, you can resist it, you can, and you know, you can choose to be wise or be foolish, but people who have lived life and lived it before God and are still standing and serving him have something to share with you. And if you're young and you don't think they do, you're just fooling yourself. And if you're young spiritually and you think somebody who's maybe even younger than you I listen, there's guys who are 40, and I'm slightly more than 40, and I've been a Christian longer than they've been alive, and I listen to them, and they teach me, and I say, the guy knows stuff, or even the lady knows stuff, or even this person, or even this kid knows stuff. I, What is, what is mutual submission? It's when you, you know, it's being willing to be taught, and to learn, and to lift others above yourself, so... The joy of submission, Peter, and this is something he struggled with earlier because of that, he struggled all the time about submitting, didn't he? That was his hallmark. And yet, now he has the hallmark of joy and peace. And some may say, Rick, I see the obedience called for here by elders and for everyone, but I'm not seeing the joy and the peace in this. I'm not really seeing the joy of submission. Well, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, do I want grace working in my life? And how high will he lift me if I submit myself? Isaiah 57:15 says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Interesting. I was gonna say. Or I was gonna say before I looked it up again. Contrite means um, you don't think highly of yourself, etc. But actually, the word contrite is basically the word crushed. The root word is crushed. Psalm thirty-four eighteen adds: "The Lord is near the brokenhearted, and saves the contrite," which also can be translated not just crushed but oppressed. Mm. Is humility saying, woe is me, I'm such a loser, I'm worthless, I should just go eat some worms. Well, admitting your weakness is right, but that's not the point. If life has been crushing you, God wants to lift you up. If life has been crushing you, He can lift you up. And verse seven reveals, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Yeah. Peter's occupation was? Say it loud. Fisherman. Not a trick question. He was a fisherman. Jesus said to him in Luke chapter five, and we'll, we'll put up five through six, he says, go out in the deep and cast your nets. And Simon, which is Peter, answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. That's pretty crushing for a fisherman. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking his nets. He casts his net. You've seen this. Probably most of you don't go net fishing who fish but I, somebody might have here you cast your net there's drag nets you kind of slowly let them out the back too when you have a boat with a motor on it <laughs> maybe they did that too but we have this picture of the casting of nets in our minds and you know they have you learned how to cast all your care upon him is that like a lifetime phd degree job to learn so that's true humility. That's true humility is when you cast a net, but you don't let go. You go overboard with it. Because I said that to Gail, and she said, well, they would actually have to hang on to it so they could drag it back in. I said, you're ruining my picture. But then I realized, well, they have a rope tied to it, you know. So anyway, but you let it go. You th- if you're going to throw it, you throw it and let it go out as far as you can. <sighs> casting your cares upon him. So we're praying at uh, 8.30 in the other room across the way, and uh, we're praying, and somebody brought up, I think Tom Carter brought up about casting our cares, whether I, whether he had looked at this verse or not, I don't know. And we prayed, and, uh, and, and Bill prayed something about just focusing on the eternal. And after he prayed I went, yeah, yeah, let's focus on the eternal Lord and a few minutes later I was thinking about my backyard sorry guys I was I, I started thinking about some issues and uh, projects in my backyard just came you know came up and so here's, here's how we deal with things like that by natural status no 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 you idiot what are you doing? forget about that stuff that's carnal stuff and try to push it down you know, oh, no, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm a pastor and I'm at prayer meeting. I'm not thinking about my yard just before I get up to teach. No, I couldn't. No, 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 Try to stop myself from feeling it. You know what? Casting all your care upon him. I realized as we sat there, what a blessing we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I realized I could say, Lord... I cast that care upon you. I'm kind of concerned about getting that done. Would you have your way and let me focus right now? Rather than beat myself up for having thought about it, which is an already done deal. I already did it. I can cast that. Do you understand that you can cast your biggest concerns on God and the ones about eternal destiny of your children or parents for your place to put your shed level in your backyard? on the Lord, because he cares for you, because you're not, you don't need to push your emotions down, you don't need to let them out at everybody else in frustration, but you do need to lift them and direct them to God. So get that picture in your mind, you don't do this, you don't do this, but you do this. And you get to do this with everything. And instead of beating yourself up because things come into your mind, cast them on the Lord. And believe that he's working in that and you'll be able to move quickly to the things that are eternal because that backyard deal is not eternal. But it's something I have to deal with. I do walk through life and I have a yard and a house and so do you have some measure these things. And so... Uh, There's a difference when that's all you focus on. It's just like when you pray and all you do is pray for your needs and never learn how to care about the kingdom and see how God wants to move you in prayer and speak to you and give you gifts of the Spirit like words of wisdom or knowledge, even to pray. Something you weren't thinking about. There's a beautiful realm there. But no matter what it is, casting how many of your cares? Eighty percent is really a good number, you know. If you're a real winner, an A plus student, you know, ninety four percent. But what's the six percent you're holding on to? That's the one that's killing you. So, n- finally, realize, resist, and remember verses eight through eleven. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Be sober and vigilant. Realize, realize you have an enemy, an adversary. There's two extremes here you can go to. One is to be consumed with fear and constantly worry about the devil, that he's always on you, lurking around every corner. The other extreme is to not realize you have an enemy as extreme as it is to be going, where's the, where, that the devil? What's that? I hear, he's after me. And just be constantly in this fear thing, and this worry. As, as extreme as that is, it is equally extremely foolish behavior, thought processes, to not realize you have an enemy. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices or schemes, and also take advantage, I like the NIV on this, lest Satan should outwit us. There's people I'm smarter than. There's people I can trick, you know. When I was young, I'm not proud of this, but when I was young, I had a good friend and I could just play cards or pitch coins against the wall better than he could. And he lived in a really fancy house and his dad was really rich. And I just I just abused him and took him to the cleaners. It's terrible. It's terrible what I did as I would I would lose occasionally so he wouldn't get discouraged, you know, just like when you go to if you go to those places. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and You know, I did it for a while. I, I even, as a non-Christian, got convicted about it and stopped. But I was just taking his money. I was outwitting him. <laughs> I, do you think I can outwit Satan on my own strength? A supernatural, spiritual being who took a third of perhaps of the angels of heaven with him. Do you think you're a match for him in your own strength? It, just look at the world and people who are, are addicted and, and totally contained by the, by the world system's evils. Go to the worst of the worst if you want and watch that. Do you see Satan working anywhere? So are you bigger and stronger than him? No. We can't outwit him. But we're not ignorant of his tricks, and we're not unaware of his schemes. And by the way, that verse speaks about forgiveness. That verse is talking about Bithu 11, and it talks about bitterness and, and about not giving forgiveness. If you're caught in bitterness, you are trapped by Satan, and he is going to chew you up and spit you out. You need the Lord for that, just the way I need the Lord for anything I need. In every temptation, he prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, you've seen this. Have you ever watched the nature stations, the Discovery Channel? Oh, I just love animals, like the way the lions, or the cheetahs, or the leopards, or other predators, how they, who's the biggest, strongest, wildebeest? Bring your 10 out with us, and we'll bring our 10 lions against you, wildebeest. No, no, no. Which wildebeest, antelope, etc., do the lions go after? The weakest and the stragglers. And they wait for an isolated one, one who is isolated. So there's a story in in Exodus 17, don't turn there, but in in Deuteronomy 25, we're told the response at the end about the Amalekites, why later later on after Deuteronomy 25, 400 years later, is King Saul, three to four hundred years later is King Saul, who's told to go wipe out the Amalekites, and that's when he rebels against the Lord, brings the king and all the oxen and the sheep. What is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? Samuel says. So the reason was the Amalekites, who they fought in Exodus 17 when Moses' hands were lifted up, they won and they fought the Amalekites. But Deuteronomy 25 tells you how the Amalekites came up against Israel. Remember verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, verse 18 of Deuteronomy 25, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks and all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. Amalek they specialized in uh, the nature channel. They would wait, and it didn't matter if it was women and children, elderly people, people being carried on carts. They would just go from the back and start picking the people off, working their way up through the ranks to destroy them. That's not a fair fight, is it? That's the enemy you have. The conclusion that I see Is the safest place to be in spiritual warfare is right in the middle of the battle. People who try to protect themselves and stay out of it are more susceptible to being hurt spiritually than people that step up. It's the exact opposite of what we think. Now, you get to decide as you're listening to this, if this is new to you, or a revisiting that you need, you get to decide whether God's smarter than you or not. And if you're pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and hiding out and staying very low keyed because you don't want trouble, according to the scriptures, you're setting yourself up for the attacks of the enemy. And isolation and being in the back, you guys in the back row are in big trouble. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding about the real point. You know, now I'm a helper of people's joy. I'm not here to, I'm not here to grab somebody by their shoulder and say, you have to serve in this church or in the kingdom and go do this and that. And you gotta, you know, that's not my job and that's not right. But nor would it be right to encourage people. Yeah, the culture's tough, life is tough. Just protect yourself and your family and, and don't get involved in anything that might cost you. That is not good spiritual advice. That is self-centered, self-consuming, and it will come back to haunt you. Now, you have to decide where you are in your life. You need, that's why we need each other and counsel and brethren. There's people that I say, you know what? You need to take care of family life right now and, and, and work on this. Maybe you know, I might encourage them like that. I'm not going to automatically tell people, but it's about your spiritual state. It's not about doing stuff at church. It's about your spiritual state of engagement with the Lord more than it is anything else. And you can feel it when you're pulling back. Am I right or wrong? Can you feel it when you're pulling back? Well, it's subtle. So you might not feel it at first, But there are people that pull back and pull back and then pretty soon they disappear. They disappear from the things of God that he's wanting to do in their lives. Man, realize you have an enemy and then resist him, it says. James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why would the most powerful created entity in the universe, most powerful among maybe three you know, if we go by the archangels and we don't fully understand it, but just go with me on that, it's easier, right? We'll just go that way. One of, one of the three, if not the most powerful created being, why would he flee from me? Because I raised my voice and talked really strong. Oh, he's scared. Look at Rick Cohen's muscles, man. Remember the movie Beethoven maybe you didn't see it, but it was a clean, fun movie about the... I'm lo- I haven't lost all of it, just some of it. Okay, so so the little boy, he's a little skinny little kid, and there's these three big bruisers that are are uh, bullies that are chasing him down. He finally decides, I can't run from him, and he, he turns around to fight. I'm running, and they see him, and they go, <laughs> and they turn and run, and, he's, and then he's kind of looking at him, maybe I'm stronger than I thought. Well, Beethoven, the 200 pounds Saint. Bernard was behind him, his dog was behind him growling at them quietly. He didn't know it and they saw the dog and they and I'm not calling God a dog. I'm giving you a picture, a mental picture, okay, God is our everything, but that Beethoven, they were no match for Beethoven and they knew it. How do you get the enemy to be afraid? To fight against you, to make him flee, not you submit yourselves to God. When you're under the Lord's authority, it means you're under the Lord's authority? God is your strength. How many stories in the Old Testament, how about just about every single? How many of those stories were, "I can't have kids now God'll wait till I really can't have kids, and then I'll have kids. I can't win a battle, I don't have soldiers." And then God says, "Just break a pot and hold up a torch and say the sword of the Lord in Gideon, and the enemy will defeat itself, and you won't even, they didn't even run down and attack them. How many stories in the Old Testament were the story of you don't have the power or strength in yourself, but when God's on your side, if God be for us, who can be against us? My problem isn't worrying about how big the enemy is or the problem is. My, my need is to, am I submitted to you, God? Realize you have an enemy, resist him, And remember, you have a family of believers all over the world who go through the same sufferings that you are. And you would probably add on that being here and worse. But it doesn't say that. It says there's sufferings everywhere. Thinking of those people and praying for them, I don't mean to be selfish when I pray for the persecuted church, but there is a part of me that does it for myself. Meaning, I know it's healthy for me to put others ahead of me and to think about people I've never met who are suffering for the kingdom in ways I hope I never have to go through, but if I do, let me be like them. Let me stand up for Jesus, no matter what the cost. And you pray for people in those situations, it will strengthen you. And also, they, for some reason, need our prayers. The Lord ordains that. These, these things are being accomplished in your brethren around the, word, around the world. It will help you focus on the true riches and help you stand in adversity, plus your loving others. And after you suffer a while, <laughs> Jesus never lied to us, nor does Peter, nor does Paul. Some things that need to be purified in our lives need to be purified by fire. That's just the way it is. Remember chapter 1, and again, Bill took us through the study, and I followed up with Isaiah uh, 43.2. Fire won't burn you and water won't drown you. He said it first. God said it first. The fire won't burn you and the water won't drown you, but both of those will purify you. Make you perfect, which means complete. Anybody else got a backyard with some incomplete projects or in your office or in your garage or your trunk? or rear end of your car, <laughs> but God is working in you uh, to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you and settle you. He's going to, That means set you on a strong foundation. These things are what God does through testing and the proving process of our faith. He doesn't test our faith to break it. He tests our faith to prove it and strengthen it. If you get tired of this kind of message, if you're getting tired of this, well, we're done with 1 Peter. But there is 2 Peter. (laughs) And there is Paul's writings. But there's some different topics coming up. But there's a reason these topics come up so much by Jesus and by every one of the apostles, not just by pastors. You would not have a fair reading of the Bible if you didn't read through a lot of stuff that told you about how to deal with difficulty and suffering. It doesn't all tell you how to feel good, be happy, and make a lot of money, and that you're the head, not the tail, and everything's your way. That's just not the story of the scriptures. It is you belong to God, and he will keep you. So finally, verses 12 and 13 and 14. By Silvanus, or, which is Silas, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, as so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. So we'll, we'll, we'll dish out soup and we'll have a kissing line. No. It was the way, the holy greeting, this the, the picture of loving and caring for one another and respecting one another. And uh, my son, John Mark, I, those in Babylon, we believe that's Rome. There's a few views, but I'm pretty sure it's Rome. I don't know for sure. Uh, and there's too much to go into there to try to define that, but pretty sure. And Mark, my son, was Mark Peter's physical son, flesh and blood? No. He was his son in the faith, and that Peter ministered built him up and strengthened him along with Barnabas. So you know what? Having children in the faith, even if you're not a parent, if you'll never be a parent, you can still have kids. Listen, is blood thicker than water? Fleshly family. We're supposed to love and respect our physical, in the flesh family and do the best we can with them. Not to the detriment of our spiritual growth or walking with the Lord. Not to put them above God, ever. Blood is thicker than water. The blood of Christ is the most binding blood of all. He draws us together, and Silas is a faithful brother. He wasn't known. Paul didn't define him. Silas, that incredible, amazing leadership gift he has. Silas, his wonderful singing voice. I mean, that's Silas. He is, he's got a set of pipes, man. Silas, he's so good at organizing. That's his identity. Silas was known by his character. He's a faithful brother. God make us faithful. God, Silas exhorts us by that and testifies to us that this is the true grace in which we stand. I'm gonna use this microphone right here. When I use this,